The Lord is good. All the time. I said the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Let's open our Bibles quickly. We'll read from the book of Psalms again to declare the glory of the Lord. Psalm number 29. Now let's again use the same version. Please, if you don't have the New American Standard, just um, share with somebody. Okay. One, two, let's go. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everything says glory. The Lord sits as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I say say amen to that. Amen. The Lord will bless you with peace. Amen. Peace is your portion as you go out. Amen. Peace is your portion as you come in. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And for your sake, peace belongs to this region. Amen. And for your sake, peace belongs to Nigeria. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We speak peace upon the church of God in this nation. We lift the name of the Lord over every situation. Amen. So the Lord will give strength to his people. Amen. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, as we gather again today, thank you for hearing our prayers that we have prayed up till now. And because you have heard us, we declare as follows. One, two, let's go. Amen. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I said Amen. Uh, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. For some time I've been thinking about, are we going to change the topic? So from last time, we just put last message into the new series, a new series, and I don't know the title we'll give it, but we're just talking about the same thing, how to make sure we are walking in as exactly in the assignment of God for our lives. All right? So we're going to continue what we've been saying, saying along that line. The Lord is good. All right, we're going to start again today by reading from the book of, um, that's from the letters of Paul, He's talking about the fact that each of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It was into the Corinthians when he explained that, Second Corinthians chapter 5, let's just begin that again, from there again. Let's start from verse 6. He said, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. He said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, verse 7 is actually in parenthesis. 
He said, we know that we are, while we are told in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For that reason, verse 8, we are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, bear this in mind. What is the fear of the Lord? The preceding verse tells us that, because we know we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that we may each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. So we know we are not getting away with anything. That's the fear of the Lord. For that reason, we persuade men, but we are also made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. That's verse 11. New, Amer- New Living Translation says in that verse 11, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. So that explains it very well. Verse 12. He said, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again, on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we might have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. All we know is verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, that is the ministry, we are telling people this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us to spread this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, that is, What God wants to do, he's doing through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's just complete reading that chapter by adding verse 21. He made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin to be seen on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're not discussing that verse 21, but it's such a loaded, you know, statement. Now, why did I read this? To remind us again, as believers, we talked about this recently here that everybody will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Please bear that in mind. Anything you want to do in life, just have, that's what is called the fear of God. I talked about it, was it last week here, that God loves those who fear him. He blesses those who fear him. What does it mean to fear God? To literally be afraid to offend him. To be careful in all that you do, that you are pleasing him. That's what it means to fear God. Please, you may find me repeating some things again and again. It's called feet washing. <laughs> what do I mean by feet washing? People hear some funny things every day. You have to keep washing those things off their feet. Okay? Now, I know you are saved. 
I know you have the fundamental truths of God in your heart, but then you go out every day, you hear some things. That's why you hear me repeat some doctrines again and again and again, because I know everywhere people go, they hear the opposite so much. They hear so much, I have to keep emphasizing to them the truth that God has placed upon my lips to bless his children with. All right? So that's what I'm doing again. Sometimes you hear people talk as if grace means you get away with anything because you're a believer. It is not true. Sometimes Christians suffer. They don't know the reason why they are suffering. And it's so important you pray that God will always open the eyes of your understanding to know what is going on. Paul had to tell the people at a time. He said, you come together for communion. You don't rightfully descend the body of Christ. You don't understand that all Christians are one. You don't understand that one person is not superior to another. You don't understand that in Christ Jesus, is what, I mean, that's where unity is, and through him alone do we have access to the Father. You don't understand your, that your natural inkling, um, talents, or even your calling, all right, does not make you superior to other believers. So when you come to the place of the, body, of the sharing of the body and the wine, so you gather in groups. Those who brought the best food sit together and eat. And some and the other, you know, because literally, the, those guys used to do um, um, breaking of bread during love feasts. It was not just, you know, the one who just shared tiny, tiny wafers. They didn't do that. They, they broke bread. Go and check your Bible, your scriptures. It was after dinner that Jesus broke bread. Did you just finish eating? No, after prayer, we break bread. No. When Jesus broke bread, they had finished eating. So for the early church, it used to go a lot with love feasts. So there was division. They would not say they want to break bread. Ha, Paul had to correct some things. If you are so hungry, eat in your house now before you come. Because people began to turn it to something else. Now, let me not sit on that too much. He said for that reason, some of them were dying. And they were not aware. Many members were in, were in the hospital. They were going to go and visit the sick. They did not know this was the cause of the problem. You know, <laughs> modern teaching. We say, no, it was Satan. They keep on saying, let's not get into hair splitting on which one is Satan, which one is God. Suffering is suffering. The Satan that you cannot rebuke may as well be God. I don't know whether you are getting my point. You cannot tell him, in Jesus' name, stop. He won't listen to you then this issue that is Satan is of no consequence. Since the only way to be delivered is through repentance, confession of sin, turning around and asking for mercy. Does it matter whether it is Satan or God? You are suffering, you are suffering, you will die, you will die. What difference does it make? It's significant that if it's the devil, if you can rebuke him. And I've explained before that when Jesus said, when Peter said that Jesus went around healing all who were oppressed of the devil, there's a principle there. What does it call oppression of the devil? After God has forgiven you, and being in captivity is no longer lawful because the claim of sin has been removed, and you are still in captivity, then you call that oppression of the devil. The devil is now oppressing. Anyone who is being punished for sin is not under oppression. I'll be getting my point. You can't go to jail and see a man who committed armed robbery. He's serving a life sentence according to Nigerian law, or he's on death row. You now say it's oppression. No, it's not oppression. It's only oppression if he has been pardoned and is still in jail. Because sometimes a pardon has been granted. The fact that you have been pardoned does not mean you leave prison. There's still some bureaucratic processing. Before the head of the prison will not finally get the letter instructing him to let you go, a judge can declare you, you know, 
they can strike out your case. No, they can knock out your sentence. And you'll be in jail for the next two months. Because after they've knocked out the sentence, the, 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 the head of the prison will just say, ah, I, I read in the news oh, that uh, Daniel's sentence has been cancelled. Let him go. Lie, lie. There are people that, you know, everyone is under authority. You will wait for the person in, that's over him in authority to write him and give him instruction that this man, his sentence has been quashed by the court. Usually it's his lawyer that will come and sit and say, let my people go. I hope you're getting my point. So while he's there, he's called oppression. So his lawyer can now come and say, in the name of the law, I command you, come out. Healing all who were imprisoned of the jailer without cause. I hope you're getting my point. So until you have been forgiven, you're not under oppression. So let's not break our head on, is this the devil or is it God? Because we know God disciplines people. Why am I saying all of these things? You see, the fear of the Lord is what I'm trying to emphasize to us again. So the church in Corinth, they were misbehaving like that. On the issue of Holy Communion, of the communion table, they were mishandling it. There was division amongst them. And Paul said, for this reason, many of you are sick and many die prematurely. He gave the reason. That's why we need to pray that God will show us. You know, these days, you know what we normally say? God, show me the story of my life. Who buried my placenta? That's not the issue. Any placenta that was buried has been uprooted in Christ. Anything they buried in your life, when you were born, they buried something. That's what it means to be baptized. Everything has died. When you came out, you rose up with the newness of life. If you give your life to Christ, somebody says you are suffering now because of this thing you did eight years ago. Meanwhile, you gave your life to Christ just last year. Reject it. Say, I've been forgiven. It's possible physically. But that is the kind of thing you now collect by force. For this cause was the Son of Man made manifest that it might destroy the works of the devil. That's it. But he all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed. This is the reason. You are telling me today I'm suffering because of what I did eight years ago. Meanwhile, I sincerely gave my life to Christ last year. Anything lower than the last year, oh boy, I don't know Buko. It's not my own. There's no so you want to tell me I, I reject it. Try and persuade me. Say, well, I'm not going for any deliverance. I've been delivered. When they're offering you deliverance that does not belong to you. Forget it. Do you know, he said, what if you need deliverance? Once you say what I have said, you'll be delivered automatically. Once you say to them, I have been delivered. They sit down and say, ah, this one no buko. This one is aware. This one is aware. Have you ever, has this ever happened to you before? <laughs> Maybe you're on the, you park somewhere. There's not, there's not like no parking there. You know these boys yeah. that want to come and here. Do not bring that their yellow shirt and shake it for you. Okay, why you park for here? I did something one day. I've done many times. So when they are coming, people want to move away immediately. I just pause. I just wind down. Wouldn't they worry? They got, oh God, now you have money, sir. <laughs> he knows he's not within his rights. He wanted to oppress me. So when I showed him that, I am not intimidated. I just went down my glass slowly. I remember one day. That was my mind now. I just rushed down. I just wound down. I didn't try to run away. My glass was up. As he came, I wound down. I said, wait, are you all right? He said, no, guy, just come this way, come this way. You know? 
started, he started making space for me, trying to help me park. No, come this side, come this way. You know, stop traffic. I told my wife, it was my wife I went to drop that day. I said, the guy needs money. When he finished, I did behind my pocket. I gave him something and he saluted and got <laughs> Sometimes you have to do that to the devil. You look at the devil, are you together? Who is this that you are possessing or oppressing? Me? Are you normal? You ask the devil like that? Are you normal? The devil will lose. Ha, ba. Ah, ah, you, sir. Which church should they go, sir? You know, they begin to turn to gist. So that is what is called oppression of the devil. That's what I want to say. However, which is what my teaching is for today. If you are walking in disobedience, it doesn't work like that. Paul said, for this cause, many of you are sick and many sleep. Paul was very careful to use the word sleep when Christians die. So I just need to use the word die so that you will know what he was talking about. Don't think that he meant that some people just fell unconscious and they wake up at the end of the service. No. He meant that they had to bury them and you will see them next at the resurrection of the saints. I hope you're getting my point here. But what I'm going to emphasize is that there was a cause. And knowing that such things happen is part of what is called the fear of God. It is wrong teaching to make it appear like that never happens. Please, I need to correct us concerning this because the teaching is out there. We think it is faith. Listen, I got a hold of some messages by Kennedy Hagin. We all know Kennedy Hagin teachings. And I have this series of messages in which he explained that there are things he cannot teach in crusades. Because the aim is that when they go for healing crusades, you know, teaching meetings, like that, maybe like they go from one city to the other, that he doesn't have enough time. So he preaches the fundamental truth that we're all healed in Christ. And a lot of people will get healed like that. He said, but you pastors, you have to go back to your churches and teach them what I'm telling you now, what teaching pastors. That many of them are sick because of their sin and their disobedience. He said, I said, sir, why didn't you make this thing open for everybody to know? Because the impression, you know, following those teachings, we think that things like that don't happen. He talked about one woman he went to see in the house. The Lord had revealed something to her. Then the husband called. She woke up in the morning and she was totally paralyzed. Totally, she could not move. Her husband was frantic, called for help. When he called him, he went to the house, bent over where the woman was, whispered to her, told her what was wrong, and said, you know what to do. Repent. He didn't pray for her. He repented. She got healed totally, instantly. Just bowed over. You know? She couldn't move. She was totally paralyzed. Whispered to her what the Lord was saying. What she needed to correct. You do it now, you'll be fine. She did it immediately, and she was fine. He said, listen, let's tell ourselves the truth, people of God. Before he stepped into a particular phase of his life and ministry, his wife came to him one day and said she felt two lumps in her breasts. And he prayed over both of them, put them in joint hands and prayed. One disappeared over the next few days. The second one kept on growing, kept on growing, kept on growing. And they kept on praying, kept on believing God. Now, because I don't have time to quickly to try and recollect the details now, but at that point in time, he had an encounter with the Lord, not about healing, not about anything, in which he had, to re, he had to correct things that he was doing in his life and ministry. So he stepped into another phase of obedience to the ministry of, that God gave to him. And they were in the meeting. The wife suddenly felt that she knew that that lump was gone. She went and checked. It had totally disappeared. After they made corrections concerning their lives. You can be blaming the devil. Let's forget who to, is, there is to blame. Just know there's danger in disobedience. That's what I'm saying. As I said the other time, please, fight. Fight to make your life straight. Fight 
to make sure everything in you is pleasing to God. To walk in the pleasure of God must be an aggressive issue for your life. If you have a pastor that will not allow you, please leave him. There's a young man I know in this city. He was a you know, associate pastor in a particular ministry. I met him a few times. Heard him once or twice preach. Anointed. I'm sure if that guy was still alive today and he followed God by now, all of, everybody will follow him. Anointed. Spoke with eloquence. You know this, you know the people that you are wondering, are they called to ministry? Or their pastor posted them to ministry, you know? You can be called to ministry, or you can be posted to ministry. This guy, there was no doubt he was called to ministry. You could see it. There was a particular church. He was supposed to have left. He did not leave. By testimonies I heard from people who were close to him afterwards. What are you still doing here? Then finally, that day, he said they are going for a church function. They entered the bus, and they were going on the express road. The bus, one tire fed loose a tire. The driver was, no, the driver was driving like a madman. The car decided to somersault. By the time he came to rest, two men in the car were dead. Every other person was alive. And were just the two pastors in the vehicle. He being one of them. They were dead. They didn't sit together. It's not as if the part of their vehicle was crushed. They sat far apart. Only two people died in a vehicle that had about 14 or 16 people. And they were just the two pastors in that vehicle. Those of you who think that being an anointing preacher will save your life. Better stop smoking this igbo you are smoking. It's not helping you. Let your eye clear well, well. Anointing does not save your life. It puts a greater demand on you. Look, Moses was safe until God sent him. When God sent him, his life came into jeopardy until he began to obey God accurately. He was about to die for just what you and I would have thought was a trivial thing. Circumcise, not circumcising his son. He was about to die for it. At that point in time, he was helpless. He couldn't move anymore. Because of my fundamental medical training, I could just imagine the kind of that was happening to him. But Zipporah had enough sense to quickly circumcise the boy. And the man revived. The same Kenegin I was telling you about, the day he decided to settle, he said, instead of moving up and down, rolling stone that gathers no congregation, you know that kind of thing. He didn't have a congregation. Because that's what God called him to do. He became unsettled. Of course, he was broke. His wife didn't like the idea. Listen, Women, God didn't give you a husband so you can be romantically happy. You are assistant to the work he has to do. What I've said, now better go and decode it very well. God didn't give you anything in this life for yourself. Everything is an assistance for what he has asked you to do. The woman began to complain that uh, uh, every woman now, one day my wife said that. <laughs> I used to make her go to wedding alone. I said, what do you want me to do? That when she goes to wedding, she goes and see she doesn't have a husband. These children, tell them who the father is. What is all this? Is all this? <laughs> don't come and give me work. I don't ask you, don't give me work. If I go, can go for wedding, I will go. I don't have an assignment in life to assist Mrs. Banky to make her look like this husband. I'm part of the phototherapy, the big Photoshop effect for your wedding. Stop going to wedding. <laughs> I told her, I said, my wife, which kind of thing is this one? Say, when she goes for events, she just sit like she's, she doesn't have a husband. Say, just okay. Tell them. People, he refused to come. <laughs> I see, it's God gave me as I went to be escorting you to places. I'm not your bodyguard. All you women, I hope you are learning now. You want me harassing a man on trivial things. Thank God, I, I don't agree. She was going to her wedding all by herself. Now she's used to it. You know my problem? Most weddings happen on Saturdays. That's just the problem. So I can't go for too many. Can I guess why I began to complain? After she finished complaining, 
The man fell for it. Please, my guys, let me just tell you something. You were not sent to this life to go and make your wife happy. You were sent to go and make God happy. I hope you are getting my point. To go and obey the Lord. Your wife's joy and happiness is a side effect of obedience to God. If she decides that following God does not make her happy, let her, let her die by fire. What is all of this that people are saying now? <laughs> Rubbish is all of this. <laughs> what nonsense is this? I don't want to guess what I'm saying. I mean, what's going on in this life? Now, I've told you, stop mixing Hollywood, Nollywood with churchwood. It's not good. <laughs> Let's do church. The man fell for it. He decided to go and resign from moving up and down. Went to go and take up a church as the resident pastor. The day he came, he fell over and died. Yes. He came to check out the church. That was why he collapsed. His heart stopped beating. They began to do CPR. So they called his wife, please come. The woman got there. What is going on? Your husband has collapsed. Instantly she told everybody, leave him. Please move, move back. She knelt down beside him and said to God, you can have him if you want. I will never complain again. He rose up healed. Why? Because before that time, she would be in the house. Someone would tell her, I can take him before you never see him again. She has gone for four weeks now. You are complaining. What if I take him and you never see him again? Then she turned around. Who is that? He doesn't see anybody in the house. He said she used to hear it. Someone just tell her, I can take him away now and you won't see him again. That day he could. Because what used to what happened before was that she was always grumbling. Eh? My husband has not been home for the last four weeks. Because he used to, when he would travel, she even when I go three days, I'm back. I'm going to preach. When it's preaching time, I have hardly, because of preaching, hardly left my house for more than one week at a go. He used to go for five weeks, six weeks, at a stretch. Return for two days and go for another five weeks. So every rational woman will grumble. And this irrationality is what's sending you to hellfire. Every rational woman will grumble. So she began to grumble. So she began to grumble. And she was grumbling. And the Lord heard and he was displeased. And the Lord began to tell her, I could take him away and you never see him again. Audibly, not in her spirit. She would turn like, who's there? And wouldn't see anybody. So the day she, he collapsed, instantly she knew what had happened. So she knelt down there and told the Lord, please, you can have him all you want. I will never complain again. Next point. Obeying God is one thing. Obeying him joyfully is another thing. You can't just be obeying God. Let it be on record that we have obeyed him. It doesn't favor you. It doesn't bless you. You have to obey him joyfully. He said if you are willing and obedient, that willingness must go with the obedience. You can't be unwilling and be obedient and it will count. So she said to the Lord, I will never complain again. And the man's heart stopped all the nonsense fibrillation, became normal, the heartbeat returned to normal. He got up and told the people, sorry, I'm not pastoring your church. God sent me to be going from one place to another, teaching and prophesying. Yes, and I remember, it was because he killed his prophetic anointing. That was what the Lord came to correct him about when the lump in his wife's breast disappeared. See, you know, this gospel of grace we preach. I know some people who hear this will never agree with me. But you see, I wouldn't want to agree with you too. So that two of us will not be deceiving the church of God. 
And they let them have a choice. Yes. Let them hear what I'm saying. If indeed it's by the Spirit of God, their spirits will pick it up. And those who really want to obey God will follow. Like I said to you all the time, if you don't really love the Lord, see, doctrine is not about accuracy of letters. It's about the accuracy of heart. As I don't, arguing with people this day is not even necessary. Look, you don't know why people are seeing what they are seeing. We don't see with our eyes, we have been told, we see through our eyes. That's the truth. We don't see with our eyes, we see how? Through our eyes. There's something else we are using to see. Please, I hope you are getting my point, though. It's very important we get all of these things. So I don't even have time for all these arguments with people. Because sometimes people are not willing, because you, see, you know what I've realized is this? Jesus said, my yoke is easy, and what? My body is what? Light. Let's go over it again. My what? And what? This is the problem Christians have sometimes. We focus on the easy and the light part. We forget on the fact that there's a yoke and there's a body. We are so focused on the fact that it is easy and the fact that it is light. You forget it's also called what? A yoke and a body. Two things about that. Number one, if it's a yoke, it ties you to somebody and ties you to an implement. A yoke hangs around your neck to show that you're under control and you have an assignment. Don't forget it. My yoke may be easy, but it's a yoke. My burden may be light, but it's still a burden. What does a burden mean? It means I have a responsibility. So sometimes we forget. See, I need to remind us again and again. There are two sides to working with God. Any side you pick to excluding the other puts you in error. Any side. Again, the problem Christians have a lot of times is that they find it hard to strike a balance. And it's called that explained to us that balance is the key to life. Balance is the key to life. God gives you more than one thing to hold. Learn how to balance. Take hold of one and do not let go of the other. That's the law. So there are two sides to following God. We must learn how to balance them. There is a sonship side in which we did not do anything to be called a son of God. That by works. We did not do anything by ourselves to be saved. We did nothing to be forgiven in ourselves. We did nothing to end the promises of God. We have what he called these magnificent promises. By which we become what? Partakers of the divine nature. Promises paid for by Jesus himself. Promises that people of faith downloaded into the earth. They are ours in abundance. We are part of God's household, not because of the work that we did. Once we believe, which actually is spiritual labor, but let's just leave that for a moment. Once we believed and we continue to believe, we are children of God. That is one side. And you start here, which is the truth, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. This is one side. So now are we children of God. This is one side. So we know that we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. This is one side. But there is a second side, which you will see that those who walked with God emphasized more than the first side. What is the second side? You will never hear Paul or Peter introduce themselves as children of God. They never call themselves, I'm a son of God. Peter, a son of God. Paul, a son of God. And the two of them were teaching us about sonship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they have grown. 
They understood what mattered in life. So Paul introduced himself as a bond servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Peter will introduce himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. James will introduce himself as a born servant of Jesus. Now listen to me. James, funny enough, was a literal brother to Jesus Christ. The James, the one that wrote the book of James. The other James died early, didn't write anything. And this James also did not believe in Jesus while he was alive. He was among those who wanted to come and remove from ministry. But after he had his own encounter with the resurrected Christ, he said, this guy is not my brother. Let's stop lying to ourselves. This guy is my master. This fellow is my Lord. He just used my mother as a doorway into the sheepfold. So let's not confuse ourselves. That's the second side. The side of being a servant of God. It's the second side. You must learn how to balance the two. The first side has a lot of promises that you don't do anything really to claim. The second side, being a servant of God, packed a lot of load on you. You know why his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Because his grace is sufficient. That's all. <laughs> the Lord that he gave the people that didn't have the grace was 613. The Lord he gave his own people. He looked at them and said, you have heard what I tell you. The one you heard was light, small, compared to the one he's giving his people. Yeah, he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Meanwhile, if you look at it, what he gave them to carry was heavier. I mean, we know the examples we have here. An eye for an eye. He said, no, do, do good to those that hate you. That's my own law. That shall not kill. That shall not hate. That's my own law. Killing is still far. That shall not murder. It's still far. Hating in your heart. That shall not commit adultery. Hey, that one is far. Let me tell you where I start from. The thoughts in your heart. Let's look at it on a superficial level. That is heavier. That is not easy. That is not light. But why did he say it is easy? He said, take my yoke upon you and do what? Learn of me. He said, it's not just about taking a yoke and walk away. You take that yoke, you walk with me. When he said, learn of me, actually you are yoking with me. I hope you're getting my point. Because the older ox will teach the younger one how to plow. So yoking is to tie you with somebody else. The stronger, older, more experienced animal is yoked to the, to the newer one. So take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. The law came by Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus. So because he gives grace. That's why he could say it. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's like you're, you're, you're in construction business. Like we still do a lot in Nigeria. When you want to make cement and sand. To make concrete. You will put the cement on the floor. No, you start with the sand. If you are listening to this from America, you don't understand. But let me tell you how we do it in Africa and, it, and parts of Asia. We have a clear ground there. We put the sand there. They will put the cement. They will put the gravel. Then they will not start pouring water small, small. We will not start turning it with shovel. Oh boy, those people say, I don't eat before I go to work. That's not the work they do. <laughs> this one's not only do we eat, we choose what we, we don't eat bread. It's not efficient. Wheat opa. If you don't know opa, it's a special kind of. Uh, you know, outside they know few people know opa. Once you get to that asaba, they don't even know opa. So let's tell them, it's made from what? Bambra nuts. Thank you. The thing is so thick it can stand on its own. If you put it, it just stands straight. Cut a shiny surface. 
concentrated carbohydrate, protein, and oil. Thank you. <laughs> when you put two or three of that down, you are still drinking water for the next two hours to... It's called sustained release preparation. So let me just... just <laughs> I read one joke. <laughs> one person, one, there's one motivational guy on Twitter. He said, if you want to be rich, do as the rich do. One guy said, I tried it. I almost died at a construction site. <laughs> I went to work with just a cup of coffee. <laughs> now, <laughs> what am I saying? So we mix it. We mix and mix and mix. We mix. We keep mixing. Those guys will be there mixing. They will mix. You pour more water. They look at it. Add some more cement. And keep mixing. Shoveling. You know, it's just like turning your, your pap or tea. But this time around, your tea is gravel, cement, sand. You're just mixing with water. You keep turning by hand. Let us assume you're supposed to, you know, those guys who do the work, they, they count the number of bags they mix in a day. So let's assume you're supposed to mix like 10 bags. Okay, let's say, let's say you're a very strong guy. You're mixing 10, 20 bags. 20 bags will make it easy. And I'll tell you, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and mix gravel for me, and you will mix 100 bags in a day. Won't you look and say, hey, I was doing 10, 20 bags in a day. You say I should come and what? Rest. Then you are telling me I'll mix a hundred, two hundred bags in a day. Won't I look at you and say, Are you all right? But if it's Jesus, just follow him. What he will do is that when you get there, he will show you modern machinery. That the sand is fed in by a conveyor belt. Some people just throw in the cement and you press a button. Your job is just to calibrate how many bags, what weight of sand, how much water. You press a button, you know that machine. Start spinning. It starts spinning. It starts spinning. Take my yoke upon thee and learn of me. Learn how to punch the right buttons. What I just wanted to do is count the number of bags, punch the right buttons. I have people who feed. I have machines that will feed the cement. In fact, for big places, the cement is also in a kind of special dispenser. Your job is, then at the end of the day, you direct the exhaust. Can I use that word? What? It's called the poor. Uh-huh. For those of you who don't know, just go you know, this the road they are constructing now on the way to Port Harcourt. You see them all the time. Those things are huge moving. Those men just guide it down the gutters, just pouring it in. They can do 200 bags in a day without thinking. It's not them. They are, they are engines going in there. That engine is called grace. So Jesus can demand much more from his people because he has machines. The shoveling came by Moses. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point here. Time of Jesus knows. So that's why he can demand more. Let's not forget, people of God, there's a higher demand for believers, but there's grace to do everything. Grace does not mean we will not do nothing. People who are shoveling with Moses, they were shoveling with Moses, they were shoveling, you know, and they were mixing 20 bags in a day. So what happens to Christians sometimes when they have been wrongly taught is that they will not come and say, we don't need to mix, man. We don't need to mix. The cement, the gravel just flows through, you know. 
They just comes from somewhere. We'll get to the construction site and we'll find that the gutters are already there. The concrete slabs are there. Ah, he said, bros, how would the bridge be built? So, man, <laughs> we don't trust them of flesh. And then they sleep at home. And they are called unprofitable servants. And God does not take pleasure in them. But those who understand real grace, they say saving grace is enabling grace. We have left the former construction site where we're mixing 20 bags of cement a day with all the sand and all the uh, gravel and the water that goes with it to produce our concrete. We have now moved into the construction work of Jesus. They will still get up on time. They will still go to work on time. But now, instead of having to eat like seven wraps of upper to make it to 12 noon, they can actually now do like the rich do. Take a sandwich and a cup of tea and go to the site. They wear their boots, wear their decoration helmet because nothing is falling. <laughs> they just go press the buttons and then they mix what? 200 bags total in a day. But when they finish, they hardly break a sweat. You know, say, you did all this work. I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, his power working towards me did not prove it. In that I labored more than them all. But not I. It's the engine of God working with me. So you see, you put 20 mixers and concrete mixers together by hand. Only me, I do more than them. Because I have that machine of God. That's how grace works. It doesn't make us lazy. It makes us more productive. It doesn't make us lazy. It makes us more productive. We still produce. We still produce. It's a wrong teaching to give Christians the impression that they don't do anything anymore. No, we do a lot. In fact, we do much more than before. Can I give us the issue of money? That is why when they start saying that it's tight, it's not tight, I say, why are we discussing it? If you need to be told to give 10% of your income, you need to be born again. I won't preach tight to you. I'll preach be saved to you. Yeah, you need to be saved. If all your money just being chopped by yourself, something's wrong with you. Who's calculating percentage? As God blesses you and shows you the need, let me summarize. I don't want to sit on that. The new, I've said this not now. Many of you know I've said this thing for more than 20. Now, for your information, I've said it for over 30 years. You probably heard it from me 10 years ago. But I started saying this that I remember clearly 1990. My study was from 89, 88, 89. When I came to the full assurance, the full persuasion of the doctrine of God concerning it was 91. From 1990, I've been saying this thing. For those who are listening to this by tape, I don't know when you are listening, on the recorded device, this is the year 2022. 1990 was how many years ago? 32 years. I've said this for 32 years. It's not because someone said it yesterday. My book on it that caused me problems in this city, I released more than 15 years ago, if I remember, if I'm accurate. How long ago? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a, yes, it's been a while. It's been a while. At least I know I wrote it more than 15 years ago. When it was something released, maybe a different matter. Around that time, anyway. And what I've said before, I say it again. The New Testament tither is the generous giver. Tithing is New Testament. In that, that is what generous givers, the spirit that they have. That's the spirit that they have. They have a spirit. That was what God tried to compel upon those people. I've heard people say things like, uh, Titan was before the law. So was animal sacrificing. Animals were being sacrificed from Genesis. From the first few chapters. I don't do it now. 
use arguments. They said that, well, why did Abraham do it? That was a revelation from God. No, it was a custom. He did, did the same reason Abraham's wife gave the servant Hagar to her husband. It was a culture. They called them the cause of Hammurabi. We don't want to bring all this into the confusing Christian. Let's just sit with the simple thing, the truth of God. So why did you do it? It was a custom. You passed through a, a man's land. You gave him what they call customs. That's what we now call custom now. When you import something, you pay custom duties. Originally, it was called custom. I come to your land. I have a head of cattle. There'll be like 100 cows going with me. I don't just pass through graze and drink for nothing. I drop something for you. Hammurabi made it a rule. It was 10%. And Abraham obeyed that rule as he did all the other ones. God didn't say you should kill a thief. Hammurabi said do. And that was why Jacob said to Laban, if anyone is found with your goods, the person must die. Those were the cause they lived by. Those were their laws. Hammurabi called them the righteous laws of Hammurabi. When God brought his own rules, he had to compare with those of the Egyptians and those that Hammurabi left for them. He said, which nation on this earth has laws as just and as righteous as this? Because Hammurabi treated a slave as a fraction of value of a free man. God did not. No, sorry, not a slave. A poor person and a rich person. There's what you did to the rich, there's a penalty. Did the same to the poor, death. But God said nothing like that. So when Moses released it, now, let me not sit on that. So let's just get, you know, some of these arguments, I feel like they're not necessary. Like I told some of my brothers, they were sending things up and I said, brother, let's stick with one thing. All of us agree that cheerful giving is the will of God. Jesus, even when he talked about tithing, he said, these are not weightier matters of the law. So let's leave it. These are not weighted to where they belong, where there's not much weight. Periphery. What am I going to say? What does grace do, therefore? Grace makes us more effective. Grace givers are generous givers. They are just generous. They are just, it's, you don't have to cajole them. You just need to show them there's a need. And God needs to give them the resources. When the two combine... They don't have any problem. So the fear of God, let's get back to it. Paul was speaking here. Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He said, knowing, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. That's what I'm going to explain. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. He said, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Now, what am I doing? I'm teaching Christians today this fear of God. I want to say to everybody, like I began with, look, believers, we have a responsibility. That's we have to balance it. We get stuck on the sonship side a lot of times. I'm saved by grace. What does grace do for you? It empowers you to do the will of God for your life. If you want to go around every day, I'm saved by grace alone. And you don't ask yourself, what responsibility has grace put upon me? Then you are only walking by half of the truth. Essentially, you are living in what? Error. The other side, I've seen him. There's a particular man. I read some of his articles. I said, this man, you're emphasizing works too much. again." The man seems to want to tell me there's the amount of good works you have done that will qualify you to be in heaven. I felt like I said, sir, good works... They're very good. Is that why we go to heaven? No. It's because of relationships. The relationship we have with Christ Jesus. 
or through Christ Jesus with the Father. But there's a balance. We must balance it. So this is how you live your life. Every day you live by your responsibilities. That you focus on your responsibilities. But then your resources, you focus on your sonship. You hear what I said? Work, moving every day, you focus on what? Your responsibilities. For resources needed, you focus on what? Sonship. That is, you don't say to God, you will give me food, I've been a good boy. Sonship is not based on conditions beyond faith in Christ Jesus. So supplies, provision, they come from the sonship side. So I won't say to God, you will give to me because I have given. That's wrong. But you will say to God, Lord, I have given as you have commanded. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. And you close it there. Two of them don't go together. If I need anything, I come as a son and I ask. Because he has promised. So when I need things, I hang on the sonship side. When I want to walk, I hang on what? The servanthood side. And we know from scriptures, there are two types of sons. There are prodigal sons and there are serving sons. He said, I will spare them as a man spares his own son that does what? That saves him. That's what he said from Malachi. So God understands and is teaching us also that you may be a son, but each son must serve. And the special favor, listen to this, the special favor of God is upon the son that serves. The one that does not serve is called prodigal. I hope you are getting my point. And we don't serve because of what we are going to get. Ah, it's a spiritual skill you must have to separate these two things. You will get because God is your father. You will serve because you are his son. Did you hear what I said? You should write a song out of that. All you songwriters in this place should be writing songs. I, you know, I'm not a songwriter. I'm a preach writer. You will get because God is your father, but you will serve because you are his son. Because you want to be a son that serves. Isaiah chapter 54 was one that confused me for a long time. He said, no weapon fashioned against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. He said, this is the heritage of the servants of God. And their righteousness is of me. And why are you saying servants? We're taught that we are superior as sons. We're not servants. We're sons. We're not servants. We're sons. David was a servant. Moses was a servant. Abraham was a servant. But we're sons in Christ. You know, I used to believe that nonsense before. <laughs> you see, as long as you say it's nonsense, the spirit behind it is rubbish. The letters may be accurate, but the spirit is wrong. What we used to say with a sense of superiority. The sense of superiority. David doesn't have what I have. Amen. <laughs> ah, I was there too. We did all this. Why is he even doing this today? Ah, even if now one day I do want to. Trying to explain things I did not understand. <laughs> when I grew up, I realized that none of the apostles and prophets of Christ Jesus ever said that. They came. Paul, a born slave of Jesus Christ. He found me faithful. He put me in ministry. 
They, they considered it a privilege to be able to serve. I said, no wonder he said, this is the heritage of the servants of God. He said, I will, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And Jesus, our master and Lord, that died for our sins, he taught us again and again. A man has two sons. And he said to the first son, go work today. That is, the father is emphatic about his sons being responsible. But we want to just lounge. I'm a son. I'm a son. The servants are going to the farm. I stay at home. Praise God. I'm not like David. Can you imagine people are bragging that they're not like Abraham? Can you be bragging you're not like the father of faith? This is the fear of God. Treat your life like it is life of a servant. You wake up every day. Lord, what am I to do? I've said this enough times to make everybody that you know that ends a dollar each time they hear me say it, to be millionaires in dollars. <laughs> that we don't do anything for God because of what we are going to get. We never quote what we'll get for him when we go into prayer. Never. If we have needs, we ask as children of God. But the prayer we must pray, Lord, what am I to do? It's an important prayer. After God saved Paul, Saul, Paul, he told him the things he will suffer for his sake. Day one. You have not been given life so you can enjoy this earth. This earth is not designed for enjoyment. It's designed for assignment. We come here to do something. One of the things that we have to do, the day we give our lives to Christ, we'll die a few days later. If God was just trying to harvest people that he will put in heaven. Please, I hope you are following me. These are important truths, oh. These are important truths. There's one particular scripture I like. This was Jesus I was teaching us. <laughs> See, the Bible says, you know one of the things I found out? I found out that a lot of people that they didn't read the, the so-called Old Testament, which the Bible calls the law and the prophets and the Psalms. They didn't read it enough. Meanwhile, that's where the cocoa, the messages, that's where they are. So what about the New Testament? That's how we understand the thing. Without the New Testament, you cannot understand the law and the prophets. How will you understand Isaiah 53, Ethiopian eunuch? That's what he was reading. Philip said, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I? Except somebody breaks it down for me, explains it to me. What is the New Testament? Is the explanation of the law and the prophets. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. That was what the Ethiopian was reading. When Philip said, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I? He said, okay, let me explain it to you. Who is that person? Jesus Christ. So the promises, the prophecies are explained by those apostles and prophets of the New Testament. To them was committed the oracles of God. That is, those things are called the oracles of God. Yes, many people don't read them. They say they only read the things written to the church. Genesis was written to the church. All these things were recorded for our learning. We are upon whom the end of the age has come. They were written for our instruction. You neglect them to your own peril. You will be hurt if you neglect them. Did you ask yourself which book Paul, that this Bible Paul read? Peter. That was their own Bible. 
Genesis was their Bible. Exodus was their Bible. Leviticus was their Bible. Numbers. Deuteronomy. All the, what they call the, is it Ketubim, what that they call the, all the, all the Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, then all the prophets, the old, no, they called it the, the former and the latter prophets. Those are the things they read. And when Jesus met them on the road to Emmaus, he took the whole book and showed them in a short while everything about himself. What does the New Testament do for you? It helps you to find Jesus in Genesis chapter 1. What does the New Testament do for you? It helps you to find Jesus in Exodus chapter 20. As they are giving the laws, you'll be seeing Jesus in everything. When they describe the tabernacle, you will see Jesus in it. That's what the New Testament helps you to do. The promises of God are all over the place. This is how Christians live. Luke chapter 17. This is why we don't ask God, what are you going to do for me? Because of what I have done for you. Luke chapter 17. He said, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? He said, no. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have simply done our duty. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Too. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when you obey him, when you obey the Father, you are not allowed to make any claim based on your obedience. You are just allowed to say, thank you. It was our honor serving you. Is there any other thing we are supposed to do? <laughs> That's how I usually read it. That is, you know, you have been, oh God, I don't want to be sold. You have been bought. That's better. Sold is as if you are confused. No, bought means you now belong to somebody. <laughs> you have been bought. You are owned. Don't ever forget that. You cannot do just what you like. How you are aware. You can't marry who you like. Boss, do you get my point? You, li- you, you know who you will marry? Who Jesus likes. Jesus is a perfect matchmaker. Can't just go and say, Jesus, Pastor Banky said that he married the woman he likes. So, me, I'm going to say, no, Jesus, don't say it like that. I know what Jesus Banky was saying. I made his choice for him. The way I manifested it to him is what he's telling you. You know, come on, just get up and say that, you know, anything you like, you just do. There's something I've been meaning to tell people. It's not a, it's not a nice, heartwarming message, but it's the truth. You will not get away with deliberately disobeying God. You will never get away. As a banker. But I did it before. Better confess. Oh. Because confession of sin is not getting away. I don't know what I get my point. Yeah, because if you confess and you are forgiven, hmm? Jesus does as if you never did it. And let me say something to you. <laughs> let me scare you. Let me leave you there. Just, just do it like that. Let's be like that. So I'm not saying God does not forgive. That's not what I'm saying. He forgives. But you can never have forgiveness without true repentance. You can't. You can never have forgiveness without true repentance. Never forget that. That if God ever grants the memory of the event, it is with shamefacedness. I hope you get my point. Even though with thanksgiving, that is why you, if you 
Let me say this to you. Eh? If you plot that let's quickly do it, then we'll ask for forgiveness. You're dead meat. Listen, truth puts a heavy responsibility upon you as a child of God. Some of you just say, you know, I know what you are saying, but this a man has to eat. You will fill your mouth with gravel if you ever make that statement. That you are eating from disobedience. Ross, you are swallowing gravel. Let me say it again. If you are eating from disobedience, it's better you went hungry. Just think about it. You're passing by Daniel's house. And they said, Daniel, what's going on? So God, there was no rice in the house. No yam. No beans. But there was stew. So I brought sand. I just put the stew on it. A man must eat. <laughs> that is what disobedience is. When we are using disobedience as excuse, we must eat. He said, because there's no food now, there's sand around the area where we So I just packed sand. Pastor, in fact, when I saw the sand, even me, I knew that, man, this is good. So the stew I had, I poured it on it, I mixed it. That is how it is when somebody wants to feed from disobedience. You are filling your mouth with gravel. Listen. As a servant, eh? See, let's teach you Christianity. We have cracked enough jokes. I heard the vice presidential candidate for APC say something the other day. Somebody, you know, they showed an interview, interview years ago. He said, there's God on our mouths and devil in our hearts. <laughs> Did you see the interview? I laughed. The man said, we're so religious in this country. He said, there's God on our lips, but there's a devil in our hearts. And that's what Nigerian Christianity often is. We go to church so we can put God on our lips. The devil in our actions. And we actually think we will get, to, get away. I have come today with the prophetic word of God. The Lord wants me to tell you, you have not been getting away. You thought you did. You were not getting away. As a body, you were not getting away. See, all this hobnobbing with politicians and polluting the sanctuary of God, which is the body of Christ, not the building you built, with their gifts and their offerings. It's been hurting us. We did not know. Why is there no peace to him that's going out and the him that's returning? Why is there every day we are praying for peace? Because we're constantly offering sacrifices like Job. Paradventure. My sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. That's this prayer we are praying every day. Because people of God are sinning and cursing God in their hearts and their actions every day. So those that have small sins will now gather and be offering sacrifices of prayer. Because except the Lord has shown us mercy, we'll have become like Sodom, we'll have become like Gomorrah. We think we have been getting away. Lie. Lie. We have not been getting away. The one that we have worshipped mammon to the extent that pastors are not even ashamed. The Bible says their glory is their shame. That is like the modern tradition we say, they brag on things they should be ashamed of. This man wearing that yellow shirt. Don't film him or let them know who I'm talking about. His pastor came to church. Shamelessness. Shamelessness. Talking about the power of the shade. There are things that you cannot do, but your shade will do for you. Hallelujah. Ah, madness. Say so a politician came to his church. He's an Abuja pastor. Same man of God. The chairman of a political party. A man whose name, if I mention, you will recognize. Whose political party you know very well. 
You know very well. Very, very well. Very well. He that has an ear, let him hear what Banky is saying to the church. Know very well. You know very well, you say. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he said he came to church and said, man, I'm going to pray. My party is going for gubernatorial in one particular state. They have election. Pray that our candidate will win. And the pastor said, no. This is the pastor testifying, you know, shamelessly. Said, no, I'm a man of God. I don't take sides. Then the man brought an envelope. And he opened it. How many? Was it 10 or 20,000? 20,000 US dollars. So he took him by the hand. Follow me on the altar. <laughs> the shameful part is that he was the one saying, man, when I saw the seed, I took sides. That's what he was saying. Yes, oh, what do you think I was saying? He just told him that I'm a man of God. I don't do such things. Then when the man brought out the seed, he checked it, he said, he took him by the hand, said, follow me to the altar. And he began to pray. And he began to invoke the power of the Almighty. The governor amongst the nations. The one that can control elections to the left or the right. The one that can do all can do. The of Nigeria. I began to hail God. When I finished hailing God, the man won. And he was seeing it on the pulpit. That's the problem. That he did it is not a problem because they all do it. Maybe not all. So many do it. But then when they do it, they clean their mouth. And give God his portion so that God will not kill them. <laughs> but we have reached a level where we brag about it. And he used it to give a testimony about the power of your seed. How Balaam can go to God and make God change his mind when the Balakic offering is big enough. People believe I say they don't read scriptures. Ah, they don't. My message is that we think we have been getting away. Lie. We have not been getting away. We have been hurt. We have suffered. We have lost more than we have gained. What did we gain? Bigger buildings. Which will soon become empty. I don't care how much you prayed for it or dedicated. You can't dedicate idols to God. Are you mad? It's an idol. It was an idol from the foundation. I was like, dedicate this idol to God. Because, hey, me, and I'll collect it from you. Many of these are things we are building. Bonner, boy, and co. We play inside. Just mark my words. In your lifetime, you will see it. When you see it, don't be angry. Because it was never my house from the beginning. I will devote it to the mammon from whom it was built. Many of them will be empty. Some of them will be bulldozed down. And back will be built on top. When you see it, don't even be alarmed. Just know God has finally put the proper label on the things that are not his own. But what have we lost? <laughs> we have lost ministries. We have lost effective lives. We have lost souls. All kinds of things. The church, you remember, set your affection on the things that are above. Never forget it. Set what? Your affection on the things that are above. Just never forget that. Thing. I've heard Funny statements like fastest growing church. It has no meaning. We have been told that the real fastest growing church is in China. And they don't have buildings. The real one. Churches that when you go, I saw one American talk about it. It was, this guy was alarmed. Like, what's going on here? He tell him to pray. How many hours do I have? They say, eight hours. Because they don't understand, where are you rushing to? 
We traveled two days to come and hear you preach. You want to preach for two hours. What thing they do you? This in America. You do. My friends start preaching. <laughs> they are looking at this. What are you talking about? Come on, preach the word of God. And they will listen to you for as long as you can talk. Many of them are standing. They don't have comfortable chairs. The room is overcrowded. The man said, and they don't publicize anything. Word of mouth. Why? Because the state police must not know. So he asked the woman, what if they find out? He said, you're an American. You get deported. The rest of you say we go to jail. Yes. And they're the fastest growing church. The real one. The real fast growing. People that will recite the whole book of the Bible for you. How do you like say, we're in prison. Nothing to do. But to be cramming Bible. You get the Bible? No, no, no. People smuggle it in. So you quickly memorize it before they find it. They tear sheets of Bible and send it for you. Put under the food they are bringing for you. Now when you find it, you eat the food. When the girls are not looking at night, when you're not walking, you quickly memorize it. You can probably have it for only a day or two. That's the church that is growing. Many churches these days, you know, in a social center. That's where the women who sell food and clothing and drink. That's, that's where they meet. And of course, we know they go disco. So when we want to boogie down, we come to church. That's why we do our own boogie down. And then the process, we meet another, another person that came to boogie down. Then we, we marry them after three months. We thank the Lord for that. <laughs> it's our own social center a lot of times. We call it church. Sorry, I may sound critical. My name is Amos. The Lord is good. What I was trying to do, just to emphasize to us that please, let's take the Lord seriously. There's no joke with him. We must follow his assignment for our lives. We must follow his assignment for our lives. Don't think you can enjoy life without it. It will not happen. It will not happen. Whether it promises you anything or not, you must follow it. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you're a Christian or you are not. If you're a Christian, you must follow everything he says. Every dictate of his spirit you must follow. It's either you're a Christian or you are not. Once you're a Christian, you must. Like I said the other time, we're not doing things that, see, let me suffer now. Then God will now pay me back later. You must, like T.J. Jakes would say, you must enjoy the moment. You hear what I said? Assume your name is, you know, we have this thinking in our minds that my name is Joseph. I may be in my prison right now. But I'm going to my palace. I'm going to my palace. My palace is loading. <laughs> palace loading. Everybody say palace loading. <laughs> palace loading. Palace loading. If palace wants to load, fine. But some of us, our name is not Joseph. Our name is John the Baptist. You may be in prison right now. <laughs> you shall be beheaded tomorrow. I like that shock, honestly. <laughs> the way that shock they hit you, I'm happy. Because we are so used to this feel-good thing. When we hear through sometimes, it's shocking. Yes, that is the way it is. Sorry, that is just the way it is. In fact, that helps me get into my message. Now I can start my message. You can laugh all you want. I will still preach my message. 
This is the preamble. This is the gist before the message. The message is a meal. And my message is a three course. This is what they call the starter or the opener. Or first course for those who can't speak big English. The first course was long, but let's not get to the main course. No, I'm looking forward to doing it one day. We'll start in the morning here. We'll call it Chinese Church Day. <laughs> the Lord is good. No, we'll go and use a small hall so that only those who came on time, they'll be very small. We'll start preaching. We'll preach until I tire. Then when I tire, I hand you over to somebody else. I say I can't go anywhere. I'll stay there. Some people they can't sit for a lot of imams can't sit for long. They they will go they must go and pee. Why won't you go and pee when the seat is reserved? <laughs> if you know that somebody will take that seat, you you go speak to your brother in the name of Jesus. I <laughs> the Lord is good. Oh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us. We give account. What are we giving account concern? This is the message for today. Let me start it. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm not, I may not stay for four hours, but I must say some things in what I want to say today. And you must hear it. Now, let me explain something. Life is not half as that. We are called a body of Christ for a reason. And when the Lord was talking about the body of Christ, the emphasis was not, well, of course, the emphasis was on the fact that we are part of Christ, but the emphasis was on the word body. In that it's made up of different functional parts. That is, you are the body of Christ. Literally means Christ is this full body from here to to the toe. The head is Jesus, the Lord. From the neck down to the feet is the body. Now the neck down to the feet contains organs, both visible and not visible to the naked eyes, the simple observing eyes. The ones that are visible include things like the hands, the arms, the torso, you can see it, the legs and all of that, the feet, invisible inside. I just mentioned some of the major ones, the liver, the lungs, the heart, the kidneys, you know, the intestine. But the point is that they are all parts um, you know, functional compartments, divisions of the body. But the body is one. The body is what? One. That's the emphasis the Lord was laying. Now, my own teaching from that today is on the part, the different part aspect. It's very important. Let me start by explaining the fact that life not being haphazard, everything being planned, the person who designed the body planned it for a reason. There is no part of the human body that doesn't have a function. When doctors say it doesn't have a function, you know the better way to interpret it, we don't know what it does. Have you ever seen a local mechanic before? Thank God for modern mechanics now. Thank God people like Ude, Ude can tell you what everything your car does. If he doesn't know, he will read the part number and go online. Those, is, those mechanics, there is, you know they do anything for them. And we will look at them and say, excuse me, do you know how the white man behaves? Which is why he is not 
a monkey, really, you know, <laughs> you know if you know what I mean. I wasn't on nature today. My wife and I concluded that black people are monkeys. Yeah, I can, abuse, I can abuse us, nothing will happen. But if you are a white person, you repeat it, thunder fire you. <laughs> you can't say it. <laughs> no, it would be funny. Let me not start again. I won't get into my message. Listen, you black people. D are full of problems. Thou needest Christ. Without Jesus, I am moving to Australia. Honestly. <laughs> On the way your countrymen behave. <laughs> if I'm not even with I'm, I'm going to the North Pole. Let me go and live with, with polar bears. No, 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 no human beings, just polar bears. <laughs> My God. We waste each other's time like something's wrong with us. Small pothole here that each person, instead of the journey being 10 minutes, will have become 13 minutes. We'll turn it to five hours. Because the first person that gets there will slow down. The next person behind will slow down. So it slows down, right? But we'll pass. But as soon as five people slow down, the sixth person bam, tries to overtake all the other people who are not going anywhere. Because an obstruction. I was on one particular road in Onija, my wife and I. I said, do you realize we had, if these were responsible people, we need only two policemen here, but we are like 20. They will line the road so that you won't shunt. Jesus, please, please look, anoint us so we can convert everybody to Christians, because serious Christians, because that's the only hope. The Lord is good. How did I get into that? I told you that I was going to miss my way if I get there. I'll say something after that. <laughs> Is it the motor car? Hmm? How did I get there? <laughs> yes, yeah, I remember that. I just wonder how I got to that. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, yes, white man is not like that. Yes, and I thank you. That's the So I told my, I used to tell my mechanic, how can you say that? There's not doing anything. Do you know the way white man behave? behaves? That moving vehicle has thousands of parts. He has a name for each one and he knows what it does. Anyone that will not do something, he will not put there because he's trying all the time to reduce the cost. So you remove something, you don't know what he's doing. Tell him he doesn't do anything. He's not doing anything. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, I cannot be today we begin to do this work. So? <laughs> I mean, you don't, you know. So it's not to decide doing this work. So? Until finally I began to meet people who had their heads together. I said, I to me, oh, this don't mind them. They said because, no, they were trying to explain it. Some of them were actually look, it's dispensable, but it has something it's doing. But because we cannot, just, let's go out. No, they do not, you know, are you getting my point? <laughs> so human beings make vehicles and there's no part that doesn't have a function. In the same manner, there's no part of the human being that doesn't have a function. There's none. Let me quickly say this to you. Sometimes doctors are very quick to remove some things. If you're a doctor, be slow to remove. Because once you remove, you can't replace. It's gone. Find other alternatives 
to remove, you only remove as a last resort when you don't know what else to do. And you know that removing with, because sometimes when you depart is diseased, you don't have a choice. I hope you're getting my point. But don't just be yanking. When we're young those days, anytime a doctor goes into the abdominal cavity, we had the law. Remove the appendix on your way out. Why? It's not doing anything. The only thing it does is stay there and one day the person may have acute appendicitis. We have to go back in and remove it. I don't say that anymore. Do I know what it does now? No, I don't. But the God who made it, made it for a reason. They say it's rudimentary. Why did you remove it entirely? Why did you leave it there? He has a lumen. He must be doing something. Do I know? I don't know. But that's just the way he is. It must be doing something. It must be doing something. It cannot just not be doing something. And doctors were very quick also. The child can't breathe properly. They're snoring heavily. They removed the tonsils. Oh, well, not tonsils. We call it adenoids. We removed the adenoids. Why? It's not really doing anything. The other lymphoid organs in the body. Until studies showed a few years ago that you have doubled the child's chance of getting Hodgkin's lymphoma. As an, as an adult. So my own teaching is, please, leave it there if you can. Remove only as the last resort. The body of Christ is like that. Every part has a function. The function is determined by the manufacturer. I hope you are getting my point. Each individual must try and identify which, fun- which place is his or hers. Because if you are not in the right place, the whole body will not function properly. That's my emphasis. The whole body will not function properly if you are not in the right place. Never forget that. If the body is going to function properly... Now, let me tell you something about the human body. Not only must an organ be present in the body, it must be present in the right place. I hope you're getting my point. The stomach must be connected to the gullet or cephalus, whichever name you want to call it. Like I was saying, all of us must aim to find where we belong. I will develop this next time, but let, if the Lord allows. But let me just start it. The decision is that of the master. Now listen to this. It's not negotiable. It's only discoverable. It's not negotiable. You, oh, I like the way Pastor Banky preaches. I like to be a preacher too. You're allowed to like. But it doesn't mean anything. If that is just a resonating effect, good. It has helped you locate what you are supposed to be. But it doesn't make you that. It's just that it resonates. You know what they call resonance? Because it connects with you. So, like uh, one man of God, we say, the person said, the gift vibrates you. The day I heard him say that, I said, that's what I call resonance. You're on the same frequency. If you put a string here with a natural frequency equivalent to the other spring here, a string here, if I pluck this one, this one will vibrate well because they, they are both connected to this table. So, but then if you were not on the same natural frequency, this one will hardly move. It might shift a bit. But if I pluck this one and it's exactly the same length as the one, this one, visibly, you see it move. It's called resonance. In the same manner, somebody's gift may resonate with yours. That's the only thing that, you, that can serve. Otherwise, you cannot decide what you want to do. You just have to discover it. Now, I made a point. The body was designed by somebody, right? 
The parts all have a function. Each person must identify which parts I am in the body and function according to that. Okay? As we go on, we'll, we'll try and explain again how people will identify. So each person must identify and function according to that. All right? Let's bear that in mind. And I already explained that is a decision that we, we don't take. Like Paul would say, you can't say that you don't like to be the hand. And for that reason, you're going to be something else. Or you cannot say because you are one part of the body that's talked to you that not many people understand what you do. Therefore, you understand that you now do what you're supposed to do. The whole body will malfunction. The hidden parts are usually the most important. Let's not talk about the brain. It's not part of the body. That's part of the head. Let's talk about the body. The heart, it must work all the time. It's an organ that doesn't have brakes. The only brake is one second between beats. It's been beating for a very long time. The day it stops working, you're dead in minutes. Let's just say minutes. You faint in seconds. Yet, most people have never seen it. I hope you're getting my point. Some of the ones that are very, very obvious. I just demo that they do, Zef. We can't do without them. <laughs> the Lord is good. But everybody is important. That's what I'm going to say. So my emphasis for today is this. You don't make a decision on what your, your part is. You discover what your part is. And once you discover what your part is, you must be faithful in it. Please let me say this again. Everybody has a part. You may not know it, but you have. And then until you become consciously aware, just do whatever your hand finds to do as long as it is promoting the kingdom of God. But please just bear this in mind. You were ordained to function in the promotion of that kingdom. There is no person that is not important. Everybody is and the person, now, please, let me end today's message with these points. So we can develop next time. Remember we began with the fear of the Lord, right? Everyone appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. The person who appointed you will judge it one day. You will appear before him to come and defend, to come and explain all the deeds you did in life. You will be severely punished if you come and tell him you buried his gift. Because every person he gives an assignment, he gives a gift. Many people bury them. Let me tell you something about buried gifts. When they have been buried, they are no longer obvious even to the owner of them. Okay, let's assume I'm a, okay, I'm a preacher, right? I teach the word of God. If I bury it, I won't feel like preaching. I won't even know I can preach. You will not even know I can preach. You won't even know the word of God is in my mouth to preach if I bury it well. I'll be very effective as a businessman. Or sometimes the closest to it, I'll be a motivational speaker. Telling people they can do it. They can be anything they set their eyes to. They can perspire to acquire the desire that they admire. And they will never retire, but refire. I'll be telling them when they see the invisible, they will do the impossible. And then the whole world will be running after me. That is the closest.
That is the closest. Because maybe I'm wired, so that has to show up somewhere. But the real thing, to take scripture and give to people, you will forget. Give sometimes can lie so dormant, people won't know it's there. That's why Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift so it can die off from neglect. There's a word in English and medicine called atrophy. It just disappears. It's not, you see, it's not totally dead though. But it's been so neglected, you won't even know it's there. Listen, let me tell you something about the gift of God. Every gift you have, one of the ways you know this is your gift is the more you use it, the easier you get better. I hope you get my point. Yes, it tends to amplify fast when you use it. I hope you're getting my point. It's very important you understand this. Okay? But I'm trying to emphasize the fact that you can't come before the one that gave it to you, having buried it, and things just go scot free. So you know you are saved by grace. Don't worry, everything is all right. Nonsense. This is your life is being counted. My life every day is being counted. That's why David said, teach us to number our days. Was it David or Moses that said it? I think it was Moses. That, no, it's in Psalms. I think it's Moses. Uh, it's in the Psalms. Alright? That we might apply, we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Or we apply a heart of, no? But wisdom, it's important we number our days. There's something I tell myself once in a while. Let me just share it for people who may help you. I said, what if they give me six months notice? Die, put your house in order. You shall, leave, you shall die and not live. Six months. Not a doctor. God appears, sends an angel. So I tell myself, what am I going to do? Then the only one thing comes to my mind. I say, okay, so, so now that they have not given you six months, why don't you do it so that they will not have to give you six months so that you will do it? Because God is not, he doesn't take it easy. When that, you know, some gifts, now this is not to say somebody else's gift is not important, all right? But some gifts are crucial, especially to the function of many other people's gifts. So usually when you are like that, God doesn't take it easy with you. If you don't hear, he will beat you. He will so harass your life. If you let me die, you say, you're not going to die now. I will kill you later. Right now, you will do what I say. You know what they call water body? The Lord knows how to give people water body too. He will torture you into manifesting. What I'm telling you, fact. Then when you have done it, he won't bless you because it's by force. You were obedient but not willing. So I tell myself once in a while, I say, as the bank come, sit down. If they gave you six months now to live, what will you do with the time? <laughs> Let me just say something there. I'm anointed to preach and write. Now responsibility. Now I make you know they read too much. I need to be more responsible. If you give me six months to live, I write a book a week. <laughs> I can guarantee you of that. Go where? To go and do what? I'm not going anywhere again. There's your wedding. Say, you can marry. What after I'm dead? <laughs> right now. I don't have time. I will, I will walk until I can say like Paul. I have given to you the whole counsel of God. I have not withheld anything from you. Everything is on paper. I'm innocent of everybody's ignorance. What am I going to say? The person who gave you a life one day, whether you like it or not, is going to call you, sit down. So what did you do with it? You will have to explain, please. Not everywhere you want to go, you can go. 
You can't just get up and say, I don't like Enugu again. Enugu is too troublesome. I'm moving to Abuja. So, because God doesn't only give you a work to do. He insists on where you will do it. You don't select for him where you are going to do something. You ask him where you are supposed to do When you say you're a missionary, you can't just know a missionary anywhere you like. Just because I'm a missionary to Argentina. Nothing wrong with Argentina. It might be Okoko Michael. Thank you. In prayer, you have to locate where God really has sent you to. Please, I want to end with that point. So let us know that we're not dealing with a joking master here. Each person will have to explain himself or herself. And I said the other day, here, we're playing about it here. There's going to be looking at you like this. I'm going to talk about, you know, as we, when we come back, how you can detect or determine what you say, where your gift is, where your assignment is, what is called for your life is. We'll talk about that. But let me really say this. It's actually not hard to know. The major problem is two things. Let's read the scripture. I had to look for that. I told my wife to help me look for them when we're coming. Once I'm done with that, then we'll, we'll close today's meeting. First Kings chapter 20. I already read this too, and then we'll close. These are two important reasons why people... Please let me say this please, before we read it. God who designed the body, arranged things in different places, has a purpose. So when you are not functioning where you are supposed to function, how you are supposed to function, you are actually ultimately scuttling his purpose. Many times out of, let me borrow the word desperation, he quickly yanks you out, throws you away, and finds, you, finds a replacement for your part. Because as long as you are there, he really can't do that. So he has to remove you, and, because it causes you are using nutrients. Remember that principle? Yeah, you are using nutrients, but you are not producing. So it removes you and puts somebody else who will use the nutrient to produce. I began by saying, we'll talk about it later, all right? No, we'll talk about it before, maybe not now, again. Okay, it's um, on, on radio, yeah, that will do that. That there are reasons why Christians have problems. We must identify them. At the beginning, I gave an example. Let's not, because one of, one of the reasons why we have problems is that we are not where we are supposed to be. We are not doing what we are supposed to do for the right reason. We may be doing where, we may be doing what, but I just have a wrong motivation about it. Please, let's bear this in mind. Please, in your life, please, forget, don't think life will just, you can't run your life the way you like. That's what I'm going to emphasize. You must run your life in an accountable fashion. Do you hear what I said? Listen. God puts in a place, when he gets, let, let me borrow the word again, desperate. He will kick you out too. Okay? You just wake up in the morning, you just die. I know Christians don't like it, but it's the truth. If you are where you are supposed to be, doing what you are supposed to do, in a wrong way, sometimes he gets that angry too. And don't think his anger is like, hey, how can this boy do this to me? What's everything I've done for you? No, that's not it. Is is this is is he's spoiling everything? One man, um, okay, let me not mention his name. He preached something some time ago. He explained. I hope you can swallow this. You don't know what I want to say. Why are you saying here? 
The man explained why God put Paul in prison. This is shock many of us. He said it was disobedience as the result of passion. And God told him, oh boy, I don't like this. And Paul was stubbornly going, God's all right, if that's the way you like it. He explained. Okay, let's leave it. <laughs> he said, uh, <laughs> I don't want to just put too many things. We'll, we'll, we'll just about it later. But at the point that God just said, no, 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 Paul, don't spoil this thing. I'm a comment. The work we have done is too much. You want to spoil it? Okay, fine. You want to cooperate with these people to spoil it? No problem. So he took him and put him in prison and said, you're not coming out. And when he put him in prison, he wrote fantastic letters, which we are reading till today. The day I heard it, I said, what? The person that was telling me, opened the Bible and was showing me one by one. Showing me, you know, some of us interpret, Paul was so zealous, ready to die for Christ. Listen, the instruction was, don't set foot in Jerusalem. Oh, I've heard it before. Don't set foot in Jerusalem. That was the instruction. But I'd rather, have, I'd rather be cast away. Rather than, if that would mean my people... God said, oh, you have more sense than me, Abby. You love these your people more than I do. He said, anyway, I don't care whether you love them or you don't love them. Don't spoil my work. Lock Bobo in jail. Listen, it is your life and it's not your own. If God says, don't go to that village, don't go. Sam, your first son. You'll become a no son if you, don't, if you continue the way you're going. Who, who do you owe obligation to? Your Amorites and your Hittites? Or the person who's yours, who's who, the person whose you are, your savior, your master, your God. So the Nigerians, look, Nigerian Christians are the only ones that can redeem the problem of this country. Because see, if you understand the spirit of tribalism and ethnic division, human beings can't solve it. Only people of the right spirit can do it. And I keep on warning Christians, if you don't rightfully descend the body of Christ, it will make you relevant in this life as a believer. God is willing to make anybody, any powerful person as a politician. But if you follow in your mental process the old brigade, I will make sure, make sure you are a colossal failure in everything you put your hand to do in that area of politics. I know my message may not be, may not be interesting to many people. But I still have to preach it. Let people have a reference. You can go and meet those who are telling you that nothing will ever go wrong with your life. When it goes wrong, you will remember the things I said. Because no matter how much we preach these things, people will not believe. It's when they don't jam. When they have driven into a wall at 85 kilometers an hour and the airbags have been deployed. <laughs> they will now come and say, Pastor Bank said there was no road there. Say, but my pastor said that doesn't matter what you can see, just drive through. Now you have crashed. But God will spare your life. You now come down. Say, Pastor Bakke, where did you say the road is? And I say, come. Say, your car is gone. Take this, Keke. This is the direction. You will go. That's why I have to say the things I'm saying. Many people, look, can I say something? There's a prophet I keep quoting him. He said, at the point in time, the man who was standing in the forefront of the prophetic move on the earth at that time, the Lord said to him, end of 65, I will remove him. Why? He's leading the body of Christ astray. You know what happened to him? A drunken driver ran into his car and killed him. When he died, people say it's a lie. 
They waited for that body to rise again from the dead. God said, rise away from what? Rise again from where? I will not agree. Because, and God is very patient. He wants. He doesn't just get up and he will warn you again and again when you don't agree to listen. But I, look, if you're a preacher, remove all this nonsense while you're preaching lies. If it's poverty that's your problem, go and beg God for money. Like I was telling my wife today, I said, I've learned that if I ask God for a million dollars, he will give me. Why I have not asked him for a million dollars? I don't know what I will tell him I want to do with it. Because he will ask. <laughs> if I say, good money, I need a million dollars. I say, for what? <laughs> I just want to have it. He said, my friend, go and do your work. <laughs> so he instructed me like, like, um, <laughs> like Jeremiah said. So, like Isaiah said. With a strong arm, the Lord has instructed me. Don't fear the fears of these people. Now, when you see me, people say, that, yeah, your books are free to download. Your messages are free to download. Why? I said, because if I do otherwise, <laughs> if I do otherwise, if I do otherwise, let just leave it like that. Because the Lord said it clearly. Don't do anything. This ministry work because you are looking for money. If you want money, ask me for it. it no, really. I'm telling you, the message is so clear. I can't even disobey it anymore. I will not do anything to do this one. Money, money will come from where? That thing annoys the Lord. It's what annoys me. If I do it, I won't travel. And I won't stay in the house. I don't even know where I will go. <laughs> so you can't download this message because I want you to go and buy it. God will say, for what? If I have another reason for it, he will say, no problem. But so I can get money, he said, there's no problem. Oh, yeah? That is new car. Set it on fire. You have gone use the money to buy another one. Since you have money now. <laughs> say, okay, if, I, if you got the money, what do you want to do with it? Say, Lord, I want to buy a car. Why don't you just say, Lord, I need a car? Why must you go through this long process to get to something? Okay, bank is sit down. Tell me the thing you really want to do in life that money has been a hindrance. Tell me one. Tell me one now. That's how the Lord and I behave. So when you see me, free, you see me doing free to download, don't think it's righteousness. It's common sense. It's cheaper. It's an easier way to be rich for me. Two of you, please, you have to come and wear label. The, the two of them, they confuse me. Apostle, definitely, this guy and this guy. What do they call that in English? Double ganga. Double ganga. Okay. Okay. So these guys are double gangas. They confuse me when I'm preaching. I look here. Why did you get to buy it? The guy just moved up and down. <laughs> I, I, I used that to almost drive one of my classmates mad one day. My roommates. We'll get to the hostel to see me on the bed. They go to the class. He sees me class reading. They rush back to the hostel to go and see. Ah, is that not banking on the bed? I'm right there on the bed sleeping. Then the guy rushes back to the class. So I'm sitting on the chair. I'm reading. Before the boy crazy, I said, when I joke, let you look. He was alarmed. What he did not know was I used to see him. As he goes out, I go through a back.
That is good. I said, that is good. Okay. Oh, God. All right, let me just finish what I was saying for these two doppelgangers. So it's important, let's bear that in mind. We have to live in an accountable fashion because we're accounting to somebody. He has a plan ahead of time. His plans are written down in his books. Each person has books. Every day of your life has been written in his book. And your desire must be to fulfill everything that is written. Let me end by saying that if you work with him on a regular basis, like I said last time, obeying all the precepts at each junction, you will find yourself all the time working in the right place at the right time. It's not every time you are consciously aware of exactly what you are doing. But he will lead you by himself through instruction. And then when you get to critical points, you will make decisions based on the instructions that you've been given. And you will find yourself in the will of God. I said that he doesn't always give clear-cut instructions concerning do this, don't do that. Because it's also important to him that you are processed and trained until you reason like him. So he trains you, processes you. And once you follow that, you will always be in the center of the will that you ordained for you. And I wanted to read some scriptures, but time will not allow us now. Because one of the reasons why people don't, are not where God wants them to be, the one we're going to read is that he said, I was busy here and there. And, and Solomon said, that's Songs of Solomon. He said, my brothers gave me my, their vineyard to keep. My own vineyard I have not kept. I want every Christian to know that you have a vineyard to keep. There's a race that is set before each person. And you must be careful to run your own race. For time's sake, I'm going to end it here. Let's just bow down heads and give the Lord thanks. Lord, thank you for today. I've been blessed. I've been transformed. Let's thank the Lord and say, Father, thank you because... um...